0: The hog zero one. one yeah, What's it that? Night owl hog zero one. Friendlies in sight, target in sight. In from the south. In from the south, you're clear, clear high. Full hog elements. Good
1: guns, good
0: guns. Welcome to the Pathway to Wings podcast, the podcast for aspiring Air Force aviators and hosted by current and former Air Force aviators. I'm your host, Major John Waters. I'm a former F-16 pilot, and now an Air Force reservist working for the recruiting service. My guest today is Captain Ilma Vali. She's a KC-135 pilot and now instructs remotely piloted aircraft students. She has quite the journey. She immigrated from Eastern Europe, not speaking any English. She enlisted in the Air Force and then became an officer. I think you're gonna enjoy her story and her pathway to wings. Let's get into the podcast with captain Ilma Valley. Awesome. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I have captain Ilma Valley. I say that right?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Look at that for a Georgia boy. Uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast and be excited to talk about your uh, aviation career and your path through the air force. So again, before you role in the podcast, maybe if you give us a 30 to 60 second kind of elevator pitch of who you are a little bit of your air force career and what you're doing today
1: all right well hello um yes so crazy story ilma born and raised in, raised in eastern europe was born in lithuania immigrated to united states at age 11 enlisted in the air force started out as a cook in the air force then i went to the prep school the air force academy pilot training to rio texas and then kc-135s uh, had some medical issues which brought me here to randolph and now teaching uh, our future uh, drone pilots, uh, how to fly. So RPA training schoolhouse.
0: I'm excited about this. There's gonna be a lot to talk about. Just, yes. from, just from the beginning, immigrating to the United States, What were, were you English speaker at that time or did you have to learn the language?
1: So uh, while living in Lithuania, um, we took English classes. So that was part of our curriculum, you know, Elementary school middle school you take English classes the way we take Spanish classes here in America but I mean your English <laughs> is like hello goodbye and that's pretty much all I knew when I immigrated to the United States so definitely a challenge uh, fifth grader you know <laughs> expressing uh, words and feelings and that was not fun got a little bit made fun of from my accent too but uh, that was quite the ride
0: yeah, getting thrown in the deep end. I cannot imagine that's what I always say, like I have no excuse, right? Because if you show up and you speak the language, like then it's just easy. you know exactly. <laughs> so no excuse for me. What exactly? What was kind of what got you hooked into aviation, wanted to pursue a career in the Navy or pursue a career in the Air Force?
1: So, um, I guess my love for aviation started out actually when I got on a flight to move to the United States. My first time on an airplane was oceanic from Lithuania. Well, it was from probably from Frankfurt across the ocean to Los Angeles. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so awesome, so beautiful. And in my 11-year-old mind, I, was just, I thought being a pilot would mean lots of traveling, lots of awesome photos. I didn't realize <laughs> how much more there was to that, but that's when I fell in love with it. Um, like, sign me up. I'll get to learn languages and I'll get to travel the world. And then I went on to high school, and that a dream was still with me. My parents, you know, my parents did the best that they could. Um, and, you know, they're like, hey, here's some, here's a magazine on aviation. Oh, we'll buy you some sheets and some. Uh, T shirts that have airplanes on it, and that's as far as it went. They didn't really were aware of all these programs, like JROTC or Civil Air Patrol. Um, my high school did offer some aviation classes and offer to get your PPL, but because English was my second language, they put me in like study hall and study skills. They're like, Here you go, Alma, sorry, that's all <laughs> you get for electives. And then um, at the time, I wasn't an, uh, a U.S. citizen, so it just seemed a lot of, like, hurdles to get to this pilot dream. So pretty slowly, by the end of high school, the the dream for aviation died off. Um, I enlisted in the Air Force really just to get out of the house and get on my feet. My parents, Eastern European, pretty crazy. Uh, no cell phone, no boyfriends, no car. I'm like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> like, <laughs> get me out of here. Uh, so my stepdad was prior enlisted in the Air Force. And he's like, hey, you know, you can enlist in the Air Force, do your minimum of four years, and you can use a GI Bill to get a free education. Um, I had like a 3.0 in high school, not get good enough to get a scholarship. And my parents were like, no, we can't really take that kind of burden on us and pay for your college. So Air Force was a way to get out of the house, get on my feet. Um, and you know the rest was history. Just one open door after another after another. So, like I said, I started as a cook. Uh, part of my processing was meeting my commander, and my commander was like, "Hey, would you like to go to school for free? Sure, why not? I'm 19 years old. Sign me up." Next thing I know, I got a, a package saying, "Hey, you've been accepted into the prep school." um give us an answer in 10 days would you like to go to the air, uh, air force academy prep school sure why not we'll see what happens oh a year later made it through prep school okay i guess we're going to the air force academy <laughs> and yeah four years later uh, barely surviving academic probation you know here it's time to put in your dream sheet all right i guess i'll put down pilot we'll see what happens didn't expect to get pilot slot as it's very competitive 2013 pretty much everyone that wanted a pilot slot got a pilot slot all right i guess we're going to pilot that's training awesome. let's see what happens um so we made it i got the wings on my chest so it's been quite the ride
0: <laughs> that's quite yeah quite the journey I, backing all the way up you might be the only person to describe a transatlantic flight from frankfurt frankfurt to los angeles is awesome uh but that's so cool that you know that was kind of the hook and then you're able you know full circle come back around now you got wings on your chest flying around how long did you, how long were you enlisted? I know you said, obviously you got the package. Do you want to go to the school? I was going to the prep school, but did you do your four-year enlistment?
1: No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. I uh, didn't even do a year. Uh, <laughs> so it was interesting. I went through three boot camps, three summers in a row. So 2007, 2008, and 2009. So I went to Lachlan boot camp, prep school boot camp, and Air Force Academy boot camp, three summers in a row, three birthdays in a row. It. Um, so it. Yeah. So I think I was enlisted, I mean, less than a year. Wow. Yeah, and then went on to the prep school. So some folks say, hey, you're not a true prior enlisted because you haven't <laughs> felt the pains. But I don't know. I flipped some burgers and some pancakes, I feel like. I've, I've been through it.
0: Yeah, Check the box. You can move I on. Check the box <laughs> move
1: on. Yeah. Well,
0: that's cool. So out of, uh, the Air Force Academy, get a pilot slot off the pilot training. What was pilot training like for you?
1: Oh my God. It was so awful. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was very, very, very challenging. Um, I was the only female in my class and mentally I really struggled And I guess that would be a good advice, you know, that I would like to give to the listeners. Um, So with my very unique and diverse background, um, you know, Eastern European, English, second language, female, prior enlisted, a cook, you know, like I wasn't even like air traffic control. I was a cook. I felt like I just came from the bottom. Um, So I felt like I didn't fit in, like I didn't belong there. and in my head, I just kept making excuses for me for myself, like, oh I, I you know, I struggle with English or I shouldn't be here. you know, I didn't grow up playing video games. Uh, you know, I struggled through Air Force Academy, so I'm not cut out for this. You know, I don't I'm not my personality is an alpha type. therefore, you know I don't I don't talk, I don't walk, I don't speak like a pilot. So the biggest thing was confidence. Um, but you know, after taking this road, I have learned that, you know, they teach you how to be a pilot. You don't show up talking, walking like a pilot. They teach you, they train you, they give you the tools. You're just there for the ride and you'll get all the tools in your toolbox. Um, and, you know, in the unique background that just made me a better officer, you know, uh, cause I can relate to my airmen in a, a different way.
0: Yeah. Do you think it was it the environment that you were in that, uh, made like, like didn't make you feel like you were a part of it, or is it internal that was driving that?
1: It was definitely all internal. It was all in my head for sure. Um, I just didn't know how to carry myself. I, I just, I, I just didn't, um, definitely struggled with the confidence. Um, and you know, now that I'm an instructor, I actually tell my students all the time and share my st- I actually flew with a student today, he was really struggling with confidence, and he's like, I don't think I can make it through this program, you know, I'm not used to being at the bottom of my class, and I'm like, hey man, uh, advice number one, fake it till you make it, (laughs) so you just walk in and you're like, let's go, let's go fly, I'm ready, you know, you don't show up to a game, you don't show up to a race already defeated, you show up stoked and ready to go, Um, so even though you feel like, oh, I'm not really prepared or I'm not sure, um, mentally you have to be, um, set your mind to it.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I said that I was doing a podcast interview the other day and we were speaking kind of along the similar lines of, you know, everyone struggles and everyone has different hurdles, right? Like your struggle might be early on and then mine might be later, right? But when you're going through it. Like you're on your island by yourself or that's what it can feel like. But I think it's important to know that usually not the first and you're not going to be the last person to go through that.
1: Yeah, I, I learned that, you know, now that I'm an instructor and I see the other side, um, everyone's struggling. Everyone's having a hard time with maintaining altitude, pitch, and power, everything. But what the difference is that a lot of the folks just kind of, fake it till you make it walk out of the flight, (laughs) smiling, being able to laugh about their mistakes instead of, uh, just spiraling down and kind of being very hard on themselves. Um, so yeah, and I just beat myself up and that might be the Eastern European, the immigrant mindset. (laughs) Oh, you did not perfect this. You you don't belong here. You
0: know, (laughs) and that's, I mean, a really good point too, is, I mean, fake it till you make it, but it's having that confidence, which is easier said than done, but I, I, like when I was teaching in T sixes, like one of my favorite classes that went through, I think they constantly made fun of one another and themselves, right? Like everyone, like no one, like none of these guys are good, right? Yet because they're fresh off the boat, like. But it's yeah, gonna, if you it,
1: can, yeah exactly. If you can just laugh about it, laugh at yourself. Um, and you know, like that's something that we talk about here. How do you take feedback? It is really hard to sit there and your IP is just crushing you. How do you take the f- feedback? Well, you know, I, I tell my students just use humor, being able to kind of laugh at yourself and move on from it and yeah. walk away from it. It's all good.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so, out of pilot training, you go off to the KC-135. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Well, mm-hmm. What was uh, Tampa, Florida?
0: Oh, rough deal. Thank you. Yeah, someone yes. someone's gotta do it. How was that assignment? Uh it
1: was it was oh, it was difficult. Uh you know, we talk about being a pilot at the Air Force Academy, we, we build it up and you're just like, All right, this is it. And ops tempo was crazy. I was not ready for it. Um, so even though I was stationed in Tampa, Florida, we were gone all the time, didn't really get a chance to really enjoy Tampa. So as soon as I was uh, done with Altus, had six flights under my belt, showed up to Florida. They're like, all right, here's your three warm-up flights and out the door. Deploy. Go ahead. Have fun. So I felt like I learned how to fly on a deployment. (laughs) Um, So yeah, the ops tempo is very very
0: fast. What, What was that tempo like for you? Uh, So
1: it was what, three months on, three months off. But when you're back for the three months, you might be sent to red flag or hurricane evacuation. Um, So it's definitely a lot of fun as a first lieutenant. Uh, Definitely really tough if, if you're trying to settle down and start a family or if you start dating somebody. So I started dating my husband at the time. So it was just really difficult for a lot of the young folks to establish a relationship or a family. Um, so that was the, the biggest hurdles for most. Um, other than that, it's a lot of fun, lots of hours, um, get really familiar with Qatar cutter, excuse me. Um, yeah.
0: that's what I think, yeah, I, I, I think most people don't realize too. Like, I'm, I obviously love being a pilot being pilots. Great. Being a pilot in the air force is great or any aviator for that matter. But in the current times, like the tempo is really busy. Um, uh, I think, my first like assignment F sixteen. I was home four months of the first like nineteen months, and that's just. And I think that that that's a copy and paste across most platforms, and that's something that people need to be aware of.
1: Yeah, and that, as a as a young you know twenty some year old, you're like yes, yeah. travel the world, sign me up hashtag YOLO hashtag Jet Life. <laughs> And then after a year or two of that, it starts to weigh really, like, heavy on you. Um, you're like, wow, I'm getting fat because I'm <laughs> not eating and I'm traveling and I'm always tired. And just life can kind of hit you.
0: Yeah, it's, so the, some- it's the reality of the Frankfurt to the Los Angeles transatlantic flight. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. Real. So, uh,
1: yeah, ADC is a really good change of pace for sure. Uh, kind of slow down, still get to do what you love. Still get to teach. Yeah, I mean, um, And that's the nice thing about
0: to, Yeah. Yeah. Nice thing is like there's a blend, right? Like usually, you know, going to do another assignment, like instructing at a training mm-hmm. base is kind of the way to throttle back for a little bit before you go out and probably want to get back out to flying the 135 again. But let's exactly. talk about uh, the RPA. So you're out instructing at Randolph. What is a day in the life of an instructor in the RPA world, remotely piloted aircraft?
1: Uh, So here at ATC at Randolph, um, so URT undergraduate RPA training, and I teach RIQ portion, which is RPA instrument qualification. So um, for students going through the training, uh, they will show up to their formal brief, just like in pilot training. They do the formal brief, we do the stand up, maybe ground safety, flight safety, and then and get with their instructors and pre brief their mission. We use the T6 simulator, so very similar profiles. We go through contact instrument phase and then cross country phase, uh, and they have one check ride at the end of it. Uh, it's uh, The difference between UPT and URT is that because it's a simulator, we already know what the weather is going to be, and the profiles are very canned, and then you don't have crazy radio calls or something like non standard. Kind of ruin your sortie like a bird strike or something. Everything's very (laughs) can't. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: That's everything. (laughs) Me being a pilot.
1: Yeah. So everything's very candid, which is really nice for them. But also we're going at super fast pace. Some of the GK general knowledge that we hit is getting into the weeds of the 202 vol three filing requirements, alternates, how to hold a method, all the fun stuff, VDPs, <laughs> departure procedures. Um, so it's fast and furious.
0: How, how long is the course?
1: it will be two weeks of academics and then two months of flying or almost three months of flying so a total of three months and then once they're done with riq checkride and then they go to rfc which they just go across the hall and do rpa fundamentals course where they get a fly like mq9 ish sim and then they get their wings so they get their wings pretty quick within five months of being here.
0: Gotcha. It's still a lot. That's a lot of material to digest and process in that short time span. I remember going through and like instruments for me, was just like mind blowing. Like what an instrument, you know, ILS instrument landing system. Like to me, that was just such a form. It was probably like if I went to, you know, Eastern Europe and I was having to speak another language. Uh, (laughs) Like it was, it was, it was mind boggling to me. So that's, that's a quick pace, but when they finish up there, then they're out the door. To like their initial qualification training, is that correct?
1: Yeah, they go on to their FTU, which is Holloman, Syracuse, or March. Or if they go RQ-4s. So they'll either go to MQ-9s or RQ-4s. And then if they go to RQ-4s, they go to Beale Air Force Base and do their uh, FTU.
0: So from start to finish, when they show up at Randolph, how long does it take to go through Randolph and then get to their first flying assignment as a combat mission-ready operator
1: yeah great question so we brief this all all the time for all the visitors coming through here um it takes them including dos so they actually go through dos and they do cross-country at dos and they get about 39 hours at dos um, with dos urt and then their ftu they will be mission ready in less than a year so these are second lieutenants you know, 24-year-old, 24, 25, 26-year-old, they're going to be aircraft commanders within a year, which is crazy. Um, And then next to them, they're going to have a sensor operator flying who might be as young as 18 years old because they're straight out of boot camp. Um, So it's it's a lot. It's a lot. So, you know, if they're flying the MQ-9, they're going to be leading the mission. They're going to be talking to the troops on the ground. They're going to be using their Merc, and they'll be pulling the trigger and saving lives.
0: Yeah, that's a lot going on. And then, obviously, you're establishing the baseline there, teaching in the, in the T-6. You mentioned DOS, so DOS Aviation. I think they're probably flying DA-20 as a Diamond 20 just to get some air, you get some air literally underneath them. Uh, but really, when they're going through your course, that's the last time they'll be flying, uh, like sitting in a cockpit as we traditionally think of it.
1: Yes. So DOS aviation, they go through like the fundamentals, uh, you know, airmanship, uh, and it's important, you know, they're like, well, why why are they going through this if they're not going to be actually flying an aircraft? Well, they are, they're actually flying an aircraft that's across uh, the world. And it might have a three second delay because it takes three seconds for the signal to get to the satellite and back to the aircraft. And Plus they can't feel the aircraft. So, you know, if you're so focused on your GPS or writing notes on your lap and you don't have your aircraft trimmed out and all of a sudden, you know, you're in a descent, you can't feel that. So your cross check has to be so much better. Your situational awareness has to be actually much better. Uh, so yeah, DA20s, they actually go through the manned flight. T6s is here is purely all simulators. And then, yep. Um, Their cockpit's uh, a ground control unit, I believe that's what it's called. Um, It's just a little room. It's a little box. Yeah. And they have screens and they have a phone and you have somebody sitting next to you. So not a traditional cockpit, like you said.
0: And everyone who's going to the RPA, they, they start at Randolph, Correct.
1: They will. They will start at a DOS Aviation, followed by Randolph, followed by their FTU.
0: Yes, so everyone
1: many, will go through. Mm-hmm.
0: How many people go through a year, roughly? <laughs> Five
1: hundred. So it's 500, 500 pilots. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's wild.
1: So it's probably like four eighty-eight. Hopefully, that's not classified. No,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably on a sign somewhere. Outside the base, I would imagine <laughs> yeah. over the production. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, a five fifty eighth is n- is known for producing the most pilots in the world. I believe so because if you think about it, it takes us three months to produce, or it takes us six months to produce a pilot, where um, it might take a year at W Texas.
0: Yeah, no, I mean obviously that's significant and the fact that what this program has done in just the last few years, as far as being stood up and evolved again, because I mean, RPA is relatively a new thing you know, in the big scheme of things.
1: Yes. Yes. Very new. So two, t- 2010 is when the squadron got stood up and we're just scrambling, you know, what are we going to do? Oh, T six, we took their T six program and we've been using it the last 10 years. Right now we're at a point where we are rewriting the syllabus. Uh, We're trying to remove a lot of the T6-isms that we teach them and try to combine RIQ and RFC and make it into a one program so that we can even produce more pilots in a shorter time um, and just make it more efficient. A lot of the things in our syllabus right now is like doing PAR, ASR, high-altitude approaches, a lot of how to ensure holding, like a lot of things that will not, Be needed in RPA community. (laughs) Right. Um, So it's like, do they really need to know uh, how to hold? I mean, pretty sure they just put in their little box and it orbits on its own. Yes, we would still want the airmanship, we still want the communication, aircraft control, situational awareness, CRM, all that good stuff. Uh, So we're we're looking at the syllabus right now and uh, looking to rewrite the course to be more efficient.
0: What are some of the greatest challenges as far as just being an aviator uh for for you? Or was it going through pilot training, you know, transitioning between different platforms? Cause now you've flown you know a couple of different planes. What are some of the, the things that you've had to deal with and how'd you overcome those?
1: Ooh, challenges. Um all right, maybe um we can talk about this. Uh, a big challenge for me was when I had some sinus issues at McDill. I developed awful sinus infections back to back for like entire year, had a sinus surgery. And it was mentally tough knowing that, you know, my coworkers, my friends are deploying and flying and hacking the mission. and here's just Ilma being Denif. So it was a long-term Denif for like three years. Wow and uh i learned a lot it was quite the roller coaster at first you're like sweet i get some a break um because i need to recover from my surgery and then you feel guilt you're like well i need to go be hacking the mission what am i doing here and then i had to kind of refocus this was my chance to actually learn how to be an officer so i guess a challenge would be you know we always say you're officer first aviator second but I didn't really know how to do this whole officer thing. So being DNIF for three years has been almost like a blessing now. Um, I was put in exec shop, learned how to write OPRs. Um, Then I moved uh, PCS here and I had an opportunity with uh, Air Force recruiting squadron to do some recruiting trips. I learned how to talk to people, I learned how to public speak. I was terrified of public speaking then I became a flight commander, learned how to lead and figured out what my leadership style is. And now I'm an ADO, uh, so learning how to work with the APC and 19th Air Force, all that fun stuff. Um, so I guess while being an aviator, the challenge was refalling in love with the Air Force. And I guess yeah. i a little bit of the blue Kool-Aid and getting really excited about things that most aviators don't get excited about. Um, <laughs> like a lot of like the paperwork and the work packages and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I decided I would like to do 20 years in the air force. I was I kind of like this. Okay. So I, I drank a little bit of the blue Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> so I guess the hurdle was the Um And learning from it that, Hey, even though I had a setback, you know, I, I really thought I was going to do the 10 years, get out and go to the airlines. And now it allowed me to kind of realize that I really enjoy leading. I really enjoy being an officer and, uh, learn my strengths um, and taking advantage of all the awesome opportunities.
0: Well, yeah. Fully embracing, I guess the situation, obviously easier said, uh, than done i've had several buddies and I think the one thing i've realized the older i've gotten is how fortunate i am like knock on wood uh no no medical issues but like it's I mean those have and those that will um and mm-hmm. it's it's only a matter of time before someone you have something go wrong where hopefully it's just something minor but being able to deal with that <clears throat> especially in a long-term situation i know personally like I would absolutely struggle in that environment so it's really awesome to hear you're doing well and dealing with which I you say a hurdle I would say it's a significant hurdle because you joined became a pilot and now you can't you know <laughs> necessarily fly an aircraft right now so uh, yeah
1: making the best of it I think that's something that we can take away with anything in life you know if you get stationed Del Rio Texas oh no <laughs> cannon cannon air force base hey make the best of it you know you were just like oh this really sucks right well I don't know there's always something, uh, a closed door just means, uh, other open doors, other opportunities.
0: Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up the podcast here, if you've found 15 year old and love walking on the streets, what would you tell her? Do you have any advice you'd give her?
1: Yes. Um, so when I do my little speeches to middle schoolers or high schoolers, I like to show them my flight jacket. So the inside of my flight jacket is a pink lion. <laughs> Um, so a lot of the little girls think that you have to be cut out for the military, that you have to be cut out for, to be a pilot. Oh, you gotta be alpha. You gotta be this and that. I'm like, no, you can still be you. You can still be girly. You can still have a boyfriend. You can still, you know, do the things that you love and the rest will be taken care of. They'll send you through boot camp. They'll make you an officer. They'll make you an airman and you'll go through pilot training you know pilot training oh my goodness that sounds so intimidating i don't know how to do any of this stuff yeah it is intimidating you look at a cockpit and you're like wow that's a lot of switches well the kc-135 cockpit it took me six months of just ground training um so really like if you're passionate about something you're like i think i want to do this just do it and the training will take care of itself so we'll put you through the training we'll make you an aviator we'll make you an officer uh, so don't let uh, the uh, the things that scare you scare you away. I guess.
0: Oh, I love it, and perfect way to wrap up the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Truly really phenomenal. I know people are really going to enjoy hearing it. And uh, again, thank you.
1: Awesome. Thank you. See you.